0: So we have been studying the prayer Jesus taught us to pray, and I want you to repeat it with me now. We'll put up on the screen, it's the New King James Version, and would you say it with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So these very ordinary men were following a very extraordinary man whose very presence and desires seemed to infuse heaven itself into very hellish places would infuse healing into paralyzed limbs, would infuse peace into demonic tortures, who would breathe life into that which seemed dead, and would breathe divine acceptance into rejected outlaws. And because he was their rabbi and because they were supposed to look just like he looks and act just like he acts, they said, we're not doing this thing. We're we're missing something here, and we think we know what the X factor is. So Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, repeat this, but not only repeat this, but the intention is that you live this thing out. The amazing thing about praying this prayer is that when we pray this prayer, it is as if we're allowing the divine God himself to breathe himself into us. Because remember, in the beginning, Genesis 1, it said that that the spirit hovered over the face of the deep. It is the ruach, it is the wind of God, the very thing that created It is the same breath, it is the same spirit that came down on the day of Pentecost, that thing called the pneuma, the Greeks called it, which was this breath of God that came in and filled them up. It is what God has endeavored and desires to happen in us as we begin to pray. He fills us with his breath. And not only does he fill us with his power, his breath, his presence, his his provision, he not only fills us to capacity, but he expands our capacity so that he can fill us with more. So I want to demonstrate that for you. Adam, come on up and join me. I've asked Adam to join me this morning to to give you an illustration of this. It's a simple illustration, but I want you to see this. Everybody say hi, Adam. Adam, say hi to these people. Hello. Okay. So this morning, Adam, who has played Jesus before in our musicals, now is going to play God since he's older. (laughs) So say hi, God. God. Okay, And, and, and what Adam's holding here is us. That is us. So when we pray this, our Father who art in heaven, we are simply remembering the fact that because of God's choice, that which has separated us from being in his family has been removed because of the death of Jesus, and we can enter into this family relationship and call him Daddy, and God breathes in us. Usually not that noisily. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. And if you didn't catch all of this in the previous sermons, I invite you to download the podcast because you need to hear this stuff. Hallowed be your name. That name represents who God is as he is breathed into our life. He is our righteousness. He puts us right before him. He is our sanctification. He makes us into the people we were designed to be in the first place. and helps remove the mess ups and, and makes us reach our full potential. He is our peace. Our Shalom, Jehovah Shalom, the one in the midst of really difficult times gives us peace. He is Jehovah our provision, Jehovah Yireh, the one who, who provides everything we need. He is Jehovah our banner, which means that we now have identity and protection because He covers us and so He breathes into us. Good. your kingdom come your will be done that when hell when hell itself breaks loose in our lives god's power and his provision and his peace break in and god breathes into us i'll give it one more thank you give us this day our daily bread There is this promise of God that as we trust him, every single thing we need, he provides. And God breathes into us. Now it's an amazing thing, as you will study this passage, you will see that the first three petitions can stand independently on their own. The remaining three are connected by the Greek word and. And I know part of that, as we read this morning, used the word but, but it really can be used as the word and. So we read this part that that says that give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. So we start out by saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, if we miss from this point on, you passing out? Okay. When we miss that part of and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. If we miss that point, if we miss that part, if we do not live that out, here's what happens, and God says He will do. Thank you, God. I want you not to miss this. What we have prayed in the beginning, those petitions are lost if we don't finish up with the remainder of the prayer and live it out. We deflate his presence. We deflate his provision. We deflate all that we have wanted ourselves to be entitled to as we began that prayer. It would be like me saying this to my wife, Pamela. My Pamela, who art in my house. I hold sacred your who you are and what you bring. So bring the kingdom of your love and your affection and your abilities into my world as they are done in yours. Give me this day three really good meals. <laughs> now I'm doing okay. Doing good with that. But if I finish out by my lifestyle saying this, And bless me as I make out with some girls at the gym. But you're number one in my life forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to tell you when I get to the spot about make out with girls in the gym, I have lost all benefits of the previous petitions. I've lost a lot. I'm telling you now. And I have caused into question to question the integrity of my final declaration. Because you see, if I want benefit of the previous petitions, then Pam cannot be number one in my life. Pam must be the only one in my life. Because if it's not the case, then I have brought someone else into an arena held sacred only for Pam, for I have made her holy. Only her, only she is allowed in that place. And that is what God intended through Jesus when Jesus prayed, Hallowed be your name. I hold sacred this place only for you. Sacred places. Demand sacred actions. That is what the psalmist had intended when he wrote these words, Psalm sixty-six, eighteen. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That word cherish is an important word, so here's what I want you to do, because this is what cherish means. I want you to turn to the person next to you and just stare at them. Ready? Go. Some of you are not looking at the person next to you. Okay, here's what that means. Cherish means to gaze with an attachment to the person, to the thing. That's what cherish means. I cherish you. See, you didn't know this, but you were cherishing the person next to you. It means then in this context to gaze at something evil, unright, or something that is not to be in the sacred space that is anti-sacred that it does not belong in the same place where God is. It is an idol. Anything that doesn't believe in the, but belong in the sacred spot is what God would call an idol. And he says if we do that, if we allow something in that sacred place, something to take up residency, the Lord will not witness, he will not acknowledge, he will not consider what I'm asking. I've lost it. Now, I know that there are those moments that I live that kind of life where there's something in the sacred place that should not be there and God, out of his grace, still does something for me. But really, what he's saying here is don't take the risk because if you're holding it sacred, I will not listen. James, the bishop of the first century church in Jerusalem, affirms that truth when he says these words, James 4. You do not have because you do not ask. So ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, it means I want to spend it on that which is not sacred but it is in the sacred place and therefore God says I will not give it to you. If that is the case, if I'm asking wrongly, if I have these problems with things being in the sacred space that should not be there, then how will I ever pray and he will hear me? It's simply this that we can't say our father without forgiveness. We owe a debt to God. What was that line? And forgive us our our debts. The Greek word debts just simply means to owe someone something. So if I'm a follower of Jesus, then I owe God certain things. I owe him pure relationships. We owe him pure relationships. We say, yeah, but did you see how sexy she looked? See how sexy he looked? I just couldn't help myself. We still owed that. We owe to love our neighbor. And you say, yeah, yeah, but he didn't have to live by that old cranky bitty that I live next to. We owe him to not let any harsh, Condemning words come from our mouths. We say, yeah, but people needed to know about this guy, so somebody had to tell them. We owe God to take care of the poor, and I'm going to do that as soon as I get this stuff that I need, Then I'm going to help them. We owe to love him with our whole heart, and sometimes we barely can squeeze in 30 seconds before a meal to spend with him, and that's about it. We owe him a lot, and to be honest with you, our ledger's in the red. Paul said, all have sinned and come short of reaching what we need to reach. Our ledger is in the red. We have insufficient holiness funds. We aren't doing so well when it comes to making everything sacred that should be sacred, and we've, we've invited things in there that don't belong. And what concerns me is that he says this, that without holiness, without that sacredness being the way it should, we will not see God. So how do I get in the black? Because I have pretty well figured it out. There's so much that I have done wrong that there's no way that I can correct it. It's just, it just won't happen. Anybody ever feel that your holiness ledger is in the red? Feel that way? So what do we do? The answer is forgiveness. Paul wrote these words, Paul the Apostle, to the church at Corinth. He said this, God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. How, you ask? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that we could put, be put right with God. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, one of the the things he said hanging there was these were these words, it is finished. It is actually a financial term. It actually means and declares that this is the final installment. This is the ultimate payment. Nothing else is needed from this point on. Final payment made. That when Jesus previously said, Father, forgive them, and then he said, it is finished, the Father said, done deal. And so he took everything that was in the red in my account and put it on Jesus, and Jesus' account, which was in the black, he put on me. That's called forgiveness, so that I could come to him, not because of what I've done, because I've done horrible things. But because of what Jesus did, so that I could approach him as Jesus said we should approach him. And I want you to see the picture again. Our Father. He holds us like that when we don't deserve it. Forgiveness. We can't get to the Father without it. But now listen to me. We can't enjoy our Father without forgiving. So. Adam, let me pick on you again. You can just stay right there. I'll come to you. Do you have good friends in this congregation? Some guys you hang with? One of them here? Who is it? Jake Jake, right now. Jake, you here? Jake's over there. Okay, so let's say this. Let's say you guys are really good friends, and you are. Okay, let's say that Jake, it just, it just, it was an odd thing, but Jake somehow lost his temper, got into a shoving match with somebody, shoved the guy over, he hit his head and he died. Jake goes to trial, he's convicted of murder, and just whatever the, whatever happened, Jake ended up being sentenced to lethal injection. How would that make you feel? Horrible. Yeah. So, so you feel horrible about it, it's broken your heart, you love this guy? So, what would you do? What would you do to try to free him up? Would you try? Anything possible? Do you hear that word? Anything possible? Everybody here. He said anything possible. Jakey said anything possible. So, what if the judge called you in and said, "Got away. All I need you to do is bring your son Joey in, and we'll give him the lethal injection." Anything possible? Could you do it? Sorry, Jake. (laughs) We tried, man. Now, how big is my debt that would cause him to give a son? How big was it? And how big was his love? With that in our minds, and it must be in our minds, that's what he started out with, and forgive us our debts, because it sets the stage for the next phrase. Because right after Jesus says, here's how you pray, he says, "Oh, oh, oh, let me go back and just remind you what it means, forgive us our debts, as we forgive those who have debts against us. He said in Matthew 6, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So let's not play with this. This is for real. Don't go by this. Don't run by it. Because it, it means something deep. And it's not, it is not intended to mean that, that if I forgive enough people, then I work my way into heaven because you can't get there by works. So it can't mean that. But it means this. If I begin to understand the degree of my debt that cost him his son, and I can grasp that, the magnitude of my debt, then whatever has been done against me, whatever those offenses would be, is trifling. It's small. Let's do it this way. Tom, we're going to make you president of PNC Bank. (laughs) All right. And Scott over here owes you guys $500,000 for a mortgage. And he's lost his job. He can't pay you. 500, half a mil. And you know that, and you know that if you foreclose and he loses his house, he and his family are going to end up on the streets. So out of your great compassion, you say to Scott... All forgiven. (laughs) Somebody knows PNC Bank. (laughs) (laughs) So it's a good thing. It's a fun thing. But but let's say that while this is transpiring, you recognize recognize that, that Bob over here Needed a car and, and he came to Scott and Scott had a 1992 Corolla with 150,000 miles and he bought it for a thousand bucks and he's making $25 payments a, a month. And Scott then says to Bob, Hey, Bob, where's my money? You owe me 25 bucks this month. And he doesn't, he doesn't have it. It's just not happening. And so Scott goes, takes the car, which is the only way that Bob can get to work. So no, Bob loses his job, and his entire family lives out on the street. How would you feel? How would you feel? You'd be upset with him. God says, I want you to know how I feel. When I've forgiven you all of this, and what the other person has done to you is so trifling, and yet you demand action, I want you to understand that it puts you in a precarious position. Because when I exaggerate the offenses done to me, it proves that I have minimized my own. And I'm not sure how this works, so let me just throw some thoughts out to you. It very well could mean this, that when I minimize my own, it means that I really don't understand the forgiveness given to me or even think that I need the forgiveness, and therefore I didn't receive it, and I'm not even covered. Or it just means that God doesn't give it to me. I don't know which it means for sure, but I'll tell you this. When I don't forgive other people, God says, you're cut off. And that's a scary thought. You say, well, wait, wait, wait. You, You don't understand the pain I've gone through. You don't know what they inflicted on me. You know I don't. So, so he, he, he should have given you respect, and he didn't. She should have given you loyalty, and she didn't. They should have given you that promotion, and they didn't. And they owe you big. Here's a big debt to pay. They, they should have at least given you an apology or some money or a confession or their life. And Jesus says this, if you are living out this prayer, then you will Forgive. Which means this, that sometimes we have to choose to forgive even when we don't feel like it. I want to tell us this morning, remind all of us, that forgiveness is not an emotion. It is an act of the will. Do we actually think that when Jesus was hanging on the cross and his son was being crucified and people were were screaming at him, do you think the Father was in heaven feeling really good about that? I think he was saying, whoo, this is so great. It's wonderful. My son's being beaten. Whoo! He didn't feel it at all. In fact, he had to turn his back on his son. But when at that moment Jesus said, Father, forgive them, at that place symbolic of the separation between us and God because of our sins, God takes that curtain and rips it from the top to the bottom and says, come on home because it was his decision, not his emotion. I'm thankful for the honesty of the late Corrie ten Boom. Corey ten Boom and her family lived in Holland during World War II, and they were, very, they were very instrumental in rescuing Jews and hiding them from the Nazis until they got caught. The family was sent to Ravensbrück, which was a notorious camp where thousands and perhaps millions were killed. Cory watched her own sister Betsy die there. And by a miracle, it was a miracle, Corey Tenboom was actually released. Following World War II, she went back into Germany and began to declare God's love for those people. She had this saying, and something along these lines of, There is no pit of sin so deep that his grace does not go deeper still. She had finished talking in a small gathering, and a man came up held out his hand to shake her hand and said, do you really believe that? She looked up, and at that moment, she recognized one of the guards from the camp, instrumental for the death of her sister. And she said, hate just came. And she knew she had a choice. So at that moment, she chose to forgive. She reached out and said, I forgive you, and shook his hand. And she said, later, the emotion of love caught up with the act. See, sometimes when you forgive, you don't feel like you've forgiven. And I tell people it's like ringing a bell with a, with a rope connected. And as long as you pull the rope, the bell rings. But when you forgive, you let go of that rope, but the bell still swings. But eventually it stops. And the emotion catches. You say, well, wait a minute, what about justice? He got away with it. Well, let's talk about justice. So, so that lady, your friend, hurt you deeper than anybody else? So how much justice? What do we do? How much justice? How much is enough? Okay, so 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 let's let's get the executioner here. Let's get the the whip in his hand and let's put her right here. How many lashes? How many lashes bring justice? One, five, ten, a hundred? Let's do a hundred. That'll solve it. A hundred. She'll feel that pain. And so we whip her, we whip her, lash after lash after lash, Justice, 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 justice. And when we're done, how do you feel? Because I'm going to tell you that for every last she felt, you had a fresh feeling of the pain you felt because that pain needs to be felt so you can justify hurting her. And suddenly you live it over again. And the danger about that kind of justice is that as you try to leave that, you may have a new memory stirred up by those feelings. And you say, wait a minute, she did this too. Time for more justice. And you will never, ever get enough justice. It is true that unforgiveness will keep that person, that lady, in a prison of torture. You can do that. You can just keep them there, and you can hound them and harass them and let them know how deeply they hurt you. But I want to tell you, as long as she's getting lashes, you're still holding the whip. And you will continue to feel the pain and relive it. Our sins whipped Jesus. And what did he do in return? He let go. Because he said, I could call a legion of angels and take care of you people. But he didn't. Love keeps no record of wrong. So the time comes that we've got to choose to forget even when there seems to be no justice. Because forgiveness detaches us from the pain of the event. So Jesus is free to say to the, to the thief on his right that has been ridiculing him, he's free to say to him, hey, we got a future ahead. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Let's go. We're moving from this point. It gives him the freedom to say to the one who betrayed him, Peter, hey, feed my sheep because we've got a future ahead. Let's keep moving. When we let go of That pain, when we forgive, it gives us the ability to move on from that point. And as long as we don't forgive, we stay in that cul-de-sac of pain. And by the way, if justice is needed, Jesus said that everything done in secret will come public. It'll happen. And he says, vengeance is mine, not yours. Because we're pretty lousy when it comes to vengeance. We end up hurting ourselves worse than we hurt the person. So if this cup is filled with coolant for an engine and I make Scotty drink it, what will happen to Scotty? He'll suffer at least and probably die. You ready, Scotty? Know that hurt you so badly you wanted them to suffer. Maybe you wanted them to die. So let's say that I'm really ticked off at Scotty. He just, he hurt me deep. Unforgiveness, are you ready for this? Unforgiveness is me drinking this poison in hopes that he will die. You're killing yourself. That's why Job wrote these words. Surely resentment destroys the fool and jealousy kills the simple. Unforgiveness will eat us up. See, we begin our prayer by saying your kingdom come, your will be done. If you want a description of his kingdom and and what we want here on earth, he he said it's love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is a great, great thing. But you see, you can only get that if you plant that because the soil only produces what's planted in it. And if we plant those things in it, we get them. Come, your kingdom be done, your will. That's what I want. I plant it there. But if I only plant debt, unforgiveness, offense, then I will grow a root of bitterness. Francis Frangipane defines bitterness as unfulfilled revenge. The author of the Hebrews said it this way, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. When I keep nursing that root of bitterness, that unforgiveness, it will take deeper root in me, and it will grow stronger till it takes over me, and it will defile me, meaning it will release its poison in my life, and I will live according to my bitterness instead of the freedom God designed for me. About a year and a half ago, for Pam's birthday, I bought her an iPad 2. Pam loves that stuff, and she loves to push every button she can find. And so when we first got it, I would catch her trying to get out of a screen and she couldn't figure out how to get out of the screen. (laughs) So I would see her take it and go. (laughs) I said, Pam, it's not an Etch-A-Sketch. It's not going to happen. Our offenses should be put on an Etch-A-Sketch so they stay on the surface so that we can go like this. Otherwise, they will root themselves down into the hard drive of our spirit and be very difficult to uproot. Therefore, we must choose to forgive quickly even when there's no reciprocation. Jesus said, look, if you're in worship at Erie First Assembly in in December, and it's been a great worship service, but you remember that there is an offense that you need to take care of. Whether you offended or some unoffended you, get out of the pew and go find them and get it taken care of immediately so it will not take root. And when you do that, here's the tough part you've got to let go of all debts. See, I thought I had forgiven a friend, a guy. And one day in prayer, God said, no, you haven't. I said, well, I have. I've forgiven. Everything's fine. He said, no, you still hold the debt of him admitting he was wrong. And as soon as he admits he's wrong, then you think you're going to be okay. You've got to let that debt go because he'll probably never tell you he was wrong. So let it go. When we go to someone to forgive them, we cannot have an expectation of repayment, confession, or apology. Let it go. Forgiveness has no qualifiers as to how the offender will respond. You don't own that. But what we own is forgiving. Even if that means forgiving the unforgivable.
1: About three o'clock in the morning, I'd be awoken to gunfire. Uh, I remember those shots, how loud it was. And I remember raising up in the bed and throwing my body out, trying to shield the gunfire. I would take a blast in the face, and that shot would blow me out of bed. And there I'm laying on the floor, there bleeding and in shot, not sure again who's in my home. A few minutes later, one of the gunmen came over, aimed aimed the gun at my back and shot me in the back four times and once in the back of the leg, uh, shooting me a total of 11 times and left me for dead. And I hear commotion in the living room. I hear furniture being overturned. I hear uh, two male voices, but again, I can't make it out what they're saying. And then I would hear my 13-year-old son, Matthew, cry out. He would say, no, Charlie, no. Why are you doing this? No, Charlie, don't. And then when I heard Charlie's name being mentioned, i knew who was in my home and i knew why he was there he was to get revenge all because we made him break up with our daughter and then i heard the gunshots. i heard matthew being shot and then they took turns stabbing my eight-year-old son tyler to death as he hid in the closet i finally managed to get to my feet i scanned the bedroom and i can't find penny anywhere but i'm blinded by smoke and blood and My first thoughts were to get out, get through the bedroom door to get upstairs to my children, but by this time, the the house was totally engulfed. I could hear windows exploding. I went back where my side of the bed, climbed over the mattress, and when I did, when I climbed over the bed there, I found Penny, and she was already gone. Um, It was a horrific scene. I couldn't get her out. I didn't know how to get to my children, and probably the hardest thing I did that night was when I climbed out our bathroom window, knowing they were inside, and and I couldn't get them out. The whole time I crawled to my neighbor's house, I wasn't really feeling the pain. I think I was just running on adrenaline and shock, and and once help came, that's when the the pain began to set in. I realized at that point that no effort on my part was gonna change what happened. I realized that they're all gone, but my sister came to me and said that Erin, my daughter, she was alive, and I'm thinking, how can this be? Because I thought she had died in the home as well. But right before I went into the operating room, I'd find out that Aaron had been arrested and was being charged with murder. And When I heard that, I, I remember raising up from that hospital bed and I was yanking tubes out of my nose, IVs out of me, and I was just screaming, let me die, let me die. I had a home, I had a wife and three children, and now it's all gone. And I remember going back to my property. I was angry at my daughter, of course. I was angry at those two young men. But just to be honest with you, I was angry at God, too. I said, God, I don't understand. Why didn't you do this? Why did you take my family? None of this is making any sense. God, why? And when I said, God, why? I looked over to my right, and I seen a piece of paper. And when I picked it up, and I began to read it, and when I read that first line, I literally fell to my knees because I knew God had just showed up. It said, God, I don't understand why you would take my family and leave me behind to struggle along without them. And I guess I may never totally understand that part of it, but I do believe that you're sovereign and that you're in control. I tell you, when I read that page, I just felt on my face on those ashes. God must have spared my life for a reason. It was by no accident that He left that page there for me. He let me realize that day that, hey, I've got a purpose for you. I want to use you. I want to take this tragedy. Help others. It wasn't long after I found that burnt page that God began to do with my heart about my bitterness. By this time, I had already forgiven my daughter. I mean, she's my daughter, my flesh and blood, and so I think that came a little easier, but those two young men that took my family, I'm like, God, I'll do anything. They don't ask me to forgive them. This could go one of two ways. I can stay bitter, or I can get better. And I think at that point I was determined that I was not going to let Satan get the victory because what Satan meant for evil, God wants to turn to good. I want to use this tragedy to bring honor and glory to you, to honor my family. And there in the courtroom I stood in front of those two young men and I forgave them. I said, I don't forgive what you did because what you did was wrong and you'll have the rest of your life to think about what you did. But I said, God has commanded me to love you and I forgive you. It wasn't until that day when I walked out of that courtroom that I realized that, you know what, I think everything's going to be okay, that life is going to go on, my life here on earth is going to have meaning, and uh, and there's still some good days ahead.
0: Terry Caffey is experiencing our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread because he has decided to live out and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors what about you? will you stand? now in the days to come May you rediscover the great joy of your debts forgiven. May you discover the ability that God has placed within you already to forgive others. And may you find your freedom in doing it quickly and completely. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.